Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Under Pressure Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jake Barker. And just before we get started on today's show, I just wanted to thank all of all of you for jumping on board and, and supporting uh, the podcast. It's been great to uh, um, get things going, and I've had a lot of lot of lot of fun uh, doing this so far. So um, I encourage you to share it around with your friends and family, and let's grow this uh, podcast even more. Now, let's get straight into today's show. Uh, our guest today was taken pick five in the two thousand and three national draft played 157 games between 2004 and 2014 and played for both the Melbourne and Carlton Football Clubs. Brock McLean, welcome to the Under Pressure Podcast, mate. Thanks for having me, Jake. It's great to be here, mate. Ah, thank, thank you for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Now, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty stuff, what are you doing uh, with yourself at the moment? Um, yeah, I've got a, sort of a couple of things on the go, mate. I'm a partnerships manager for a fund called uh, Armitage Private. Um, so we manage around 350 to 400 million dollars on behalf of our clients. We have three flagship funds, um, and we run a bunch of individually managed accounts. So basically, I'm in charge of you know sort of managing um, you know our messaging um, and sort of acting as a bit of a mouthpiece for the company for our you know our uh, our existing clients and you know look to bring on new clients um, as well. So a bit of a, a motley crew here, mate, and I seem to fit in really well um, in this type of environment. So. It's great. And uh, yeah, a few other little sort of side projects um, outside of uh, work hours that keep me busy. Um, so yeah, I've got a bit of variety in my week to week, which is good. You know, keeps me from getting bored. Oh, definitely right. Yes. Little, little things you can work on, which is always good. It's always good to have different pieces and, and whatnot to focus mm-hmm. on. So no, definitely, definitely good. So um, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, I just wanted to ask first up, um, sort of when, before you got drafted, um, um, back to Melbourne back in the day, did you did you have any injuries prior to getting uh, into the AFL, or were you pretty lucky in terms of um, with no injuries? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had a pretty bad AC joint injury in my shoulder when I was maybe fourteen. Um, I think yeah. went up for a mark, outstretched, and my opponent came over the top and just landed on the top of me. But you know, that was only a few weeks out, and then I think. Um, you know, when I got got a bit older, you know, sort of 16, 17, 18, just a few little niggles um, here and there, but nothing, nothing major or not, nothing, any, uh, anything that I'll consider significant. So I was sort of pretty lucky um, in my, uh, in my junior footy career that I was, it was pretty much injury free. Oh, that's, that's always good. I mean, you always want a clear run at it when you, when you're trying to get drafted, I, I imagine. So, and I imagine that you're doing all things right, getting uh, drafted five as well. So um, yeah, lucky in that terms as well. So um, when you got to um, the D's um, early on, did you sort of gravitate towards uh, anyone specifically? Uh, maybe modeled modeled your game after someone, or or maybe looked at the way they trained and or rehabbed or anything like that. Um, I was pretty lucky. I you know I got to Melbourne and there was so many sort of good players. You know David Neitz, Adam Uzay, Jeff White. You know these types of guys. But one one guy that probably took me under his wing um, a little bit and I gravitated towards him was Cameron Bruce. Um, and yeah. I just really admired him for the way he, he trained. He was just such a hard worker um, on the track. And, you know, he was always either doing extras or really pushing himself, um, you know, in, in the, the footy based skill work that we're doing and also in the running afterwards. And, you know, I always prided myself on being a real hard worker. 
um, and always trained, you know, probably over over and above, you know, what was required. So I naturally gravitated to, to people like that. And Cam was, uh, was someone who took me under his wing, as I said. And, um, you know, we also got along really well. Um, and, you know, someone who I would consider, you know, a really good friend um, throughout my time uh, at the D. So, you know, I'm forever sort of grateful for Cam and, and what, what he taught me, but more so, you know, what he showed me um, and what was required to be um, an AFL footballer. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's always good to have that that real close mate that you can sort of um, just stick with. And I think that's, yeah, it's really important for, for all guys these days as well, whether it just be just getting integrated into a club. It's a little bit different when you're um, going into a club for the first time. It's a little bit daunting, but then you realise that they're, they're just normal people like you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, su- it's such a daunting experience. Like I still remember yeah. it vividly. The first day I walked in, a, you know, we were training at Sandringham Footy Club for our pre-season. And I, I got there and I just walked, walked with my head down, walked straight to the corner. I think I looked in my bag for like half an hour, for, for half an hour to 45 minutes, just looking for something that, that wasn't there. But I just didn't want to look up or make eye contact with anyone just because I was so nervous and I felt completely out of place but you know yeah. once you sort of get to get familiar with the place you start training with the guys you get to know them a little bit better you know the more time you spend there um the more that you do um you know the more that you're out on the track i mean that that's probably the, the biggest thing mm. like yeah colin sylvia who got drafted number three and um you know he oh, came yeah, to true. the club and he had he had mm. he had a lot of injuries he had osteitis pubis he had shoulder injuries so for a big chunk of his, you know, initiation or the initial part of his um, induction to the footy club, you know, he couldn't train. Mm. So that's where I could probably had a bit of an advantage over him as I was out on the track with the boys and, you know, getting to know them, you know, both from a personal and a football perspective. So um, that really helped me out, um, you know, in regards to that. Yeah, I was going to say early on, if you, you you don't, if you're not struck down by injury, it does help you, does help you long-term. So, yeah, I imagine Colin would have felt... Um, <laughs> a little bit annoyed by that as well, but obviously it helps you immensely as well. So, um, which is great in terms of getting into a club. Now, when you um, when you started playing, did you? When was your first? If you can remember your first sort of major injury that you had to start rehabbing for, maybe for the very first time um, in your career. Um, I had a, well, I broke my foot. Round one to 2007, which, um, I mean, that, I mean, the rehab uh, for that wasn't, you know, exactly, um, you know, too arduous. It was pretty straightforward, you know, I just had to swim and do all types of upper body exercise for the first few weeks and, you know, physio every day. And, you know, but it was just about a balance of, you know, doing enough without doing too much, you know, to overwork it. But I think, you know, that my first major injury was, um, was when I snapped my syndesmosis ligament, tore it completely yeah. um, off the sort of the two leg bones where it joins at the ankle joint. And, yeah. You know, had to be in a moon boot for six months. Uh, I mean, I had to have surgery to remove the screws, which were put in to reattach um, everything. So that was my first real major injury. And yeah, I think, I mean, you hear, you hear it often talked about in the media, you know, the dreaded syndesmosis injury and you know i um i did it in the first quarter of a game and then you know came off and uh you know looking yeah. back now stupidly got it restrapped and, and jabbed and went out and sort of played with it and just made everything that much worse so i was a little bit of my own worst enemy at times when it came to sort of listening to my body or looking after myself in that regard but you know i was just the type of player um you know that just 
no matter what what sort of happened injury rise if I could go back out in the field and run around and felt like I could contribute something to the team and you know that was something that I that I chose to do and it was drummed into us you know since I was a, a young kid dad was a very old school yeah <laughs> um, you know footballer and had a very old school mindset and, you know that was what he was taught so he didn't know any different and he you know sort of passed that on to me and um, unfortunately um, you know uh, that didn't work out too well for me in that in that case, but you know, I um, you know I stand by my decision, and you know I can't change anything about that now. Well, that's it. That's it. You always at a young age, you're always drilled in, and I mean, sometimes it's 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 fantastic, but sometimes it can be to the detriment, as as you said. But look, that's yeah. uh, uh, you take the you take the good with the bad. So you know, unfortunately, yeah. that was just a, a bad time. But you know, overall. <laughs> You know, that's that's footy. I mean, you know, it's yeah, I was gonna say, sport. yeah. <laughs> Contact sport, you're gonna get injuries. So but yeah, that was that was a pretty uh that was pretty brutal coming back, um coming back from that. My my footy career, my ankle, my body was never the same um after that. And you know, that's just unfortunate. That's just the way it was. Yeah, no, that that's it. So that was that was 2007, you said, or was that a bit that was later? Two, yeah, broken for 2007 and then the ankle 2008. That's probably you know that was probably the start of a, a pretty horrid sort of five years, um, yeah. you know, in terms of injury wise for me. But you know, as I said, that's footy. Well, that yeah, that's it. I mean, you, you always think about injuries always obviously being physical and and whatnot. How you said you had a run of uh, like a pretty bad five years, as you said. Mm. How did you deal with that? On, on the mental side, were you, were you pretty strong mentally or, or was it, did it get a bit difficult towards maybe towards the end of that? Yeah, look, I really struggled um, without having football. I had a lot of issues at the time, which I, was, I wasn't aware of. I had a, um, you know, a lot of self-worth issues. You know, well, my self-worth was pegged to what I was doing at the time. So, yeah. you know, while I was playing footy, why I had footy, why I was identified as a footballer, I had a high level of self-worth, right? You know, because it was you're playing AFL. <laughs> yeah. It's the highest level you can possibly play in the field that you're doing. So by doing that, by having that, I felt worthy. But when I was injured or, you know, when I wasn't playing footy, I had a very low opinion of myself. I had very low self-worth. So... Um, you know, that I really struggled um, with the concept of not having football. So to, to deal with that, you know, I, I started out by sort of drinking, um, you know, to, to sort of numb myself or, yeah. you know, to switch off those internal thoughts that were running through my head on a constant basis. Um, and then when sort of that, you know, that helped initially for a little bit, but, you know, like anything, um, you know, un, unproductive or, you know, toxic coping strategies only get worse over time. So, you know, when that didn't work, I turned to drugs. Um, so it, uh, you know, it became a really challenging time for me. And, you know, I guess through that five-year period while, you know, I struggled with a lot of physical injuries, Yeah. Um, the mental toll that that took on me by, you know, trying to cope with things the way that I did, um, I formulated some really bad habits and some really unhealthy coping strategies that set me up for, uh, you know, for a lot of uh, hard times um, further down the track. So it was a, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty challenging period of my life. But, you know, again, I was the type of person who, you know, thought that speaking up and asking for help or admitting to, you know, feelings of, um, you know, inferiority or, or lack of self-worth was, was, I considered a huge sign of weakness. So I just bottled everything up and, you know, just tried to, uh, to carry on um, mm. like nothing was wrong and, and, you know, and, and didn't want to admit, you know, in front of anyone, 
you know, let alone my teammates um, or the people closest to me that I was struggling, you know, based on a fear of being seen as a, as a weak person or someone who couldn't cope well. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, big nowadays that that it's important for everyone to, to come out, the, like the, the Are You OK um, days and, and whatnot. I think it's a really good um, thing they've got going at the moment with uh, those the, the foundations and, and everything like that. But, yeah, back then, it, it's, yeah, it was a sign of weakness, as you said. It was, yeah, it was kind of like um, the, the, the football at, when you said um, you just strap it up and you go back out there. It's, um, it's, it's a little bit different in that, in that terms nowadays. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was still a lot of stigmas attached to sort of mental health. You know, back then we were probably just starting to scratch the surface a little bit, but there wasn't, you know, the information or the knowledge, um, you know, like we have uh, these days. And, you know, as you said, there are so many sort of, um, uh, you know, things like Are You OK Day, and World Mental Health Day, mm. um, you know, and Suicide Awareness Months and, you know, a lot of these um, campaigns which are designed to raise awareness and, you know, to, to inform and educate people you know, on the importance of mental health. You know, it's when we're physically sick, we go to a doctor, we take a tablet, you know, we, we take whatever remedy we need to, to get better and we, we don't think twice about it. But for some reason, you know, for a long period of time, you know, when it came to our mental health, we were just so dismissive or, you know, we, we treated it as something completely different, you know, to our, to our physical health. So, um, and when you look back now and the benefit of hindsight and all the information that we have, it just makes absolutely yeah. zero sense. You know, why we would have disparities in our approach to our physical health and our mental health. But, you know, it's, it's great that, you know, we're certainly on the right trajectory um, and we are making a lot of headway um, into oh, that, you know, raising awareness and destigmatizing mental health. But we've still got a long way to go, considering when you look at the suicide numbers, um, you know, yeah. anywhere from seven to nine people in Australia are killing themselves a day and, and males are generally overrepresented in those mm. numbers, which says to us we still have a long way to go that, when it comes it. to really destigmatizing that and addressing the issue around, you know, what it is to be a man and what it is to be, um, you know, a, a worthy man or a strong man. You know, it's we've been almost taught <laughs> or, or brought yeah. up to, to, to think that, you know, being a man means, you know, just not complaining or getting on with things or, you know, just um, bottling everything up where it's, you know, it's the complete opposite, you know, by opening up and admitting to our vulnerabilities and admitting to our, our struggles, that, that there lies, you know, the true strength um, of a person. And, you know, I've learned that the hard way, but, you know, I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we hear about people's stories, you know, we start to normalize it a little bit and, Hopefully we start to undo a lot of the, you know, the, the bad um, upbringings that a lot of males have had, you know, through their childhood. Oh, for sure. And I think you're right. I think it is, it's, we're on the way, but I don't think we're quite there. As, as you said, I think it's, it's good that we've made the headway, but it's to continue and keep going um, mm -hmm. with where we're at. Obviously you had a pretty um, difficult time um, with the injuries and, and the alcohol and the drugs. Did you, um, what did you then do after that to sort of what made you um, what made you change your, your thought process and what, what was the first thing that sort of kick started um, the new the new sort yeah. of life? Yeah, well, it was, a, it was a long sort of road, you know. But I, I 
the wor- I think one of the worst things that could happen to me was I, I, you know, eventually, you know, sort of got my way back into the team and and found some sort of really good form again after you know a few sort of years on the outer and you know some some uh, some problems with injuries. But you know, once I got back to playing footy, all these toxic behaviours that I was doing got reinforced that I was doing the right thing because I was playing well on the footy field. So I thought, mm. wow, this is working for me. Don't change what you're doing. So it sort of reinforced that what I was doing was right when it was, you know, just setting me up for, for failure further down the line. But, you know, once I left footy, um, you know, I had a real, um, you know, problem adjusting to sort of normal life because of those issues around self-worth. And it probably wasn't until 2017, um, mm. you know, after years and years of, you know, um, toxic behaviours and, and, and really destroying myself, um, you know, in, in what I was doing that I started to seek help. But even then, that was only the, the first step in what turned out to be many steps and many different approaches to to getting better um, in the road back to recovery. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a suicide attempt. I had, you know, two stints in a psychiatric uh, clinic. I had a different diagnosis. You know, I was initially diagnosed with depression and then bipolar so I had to change meds and you know there were a whole myriad of different things that yeah, wow. that eventually contributed to me getting back to health and happiness and you know I guess that's the lesson you know for anyone out there it's just not one thing um, that gets you on the road back to health and happiness it's a holistic approach so it's in, it's in seeing a psychologist it's your, your mindfulness practice it's your addressing your underlying issues you know getting to the core of what's actually making you depressed or what's actually the core of your issue it's you know looking after yourself from a sleep and a diet perspective and an exercise perspective and and learning healthy coping strategies and you know giving up alcohol or you know whatever it is on each sort of individual case by case but you know um you know it took me a a good proper four or five years uh from when i initially started the road to recovery to, to getting to getting where i am now so but you know I've said this many a times, I wouldn't change, you know, anything because I have a wealth of knowledge and insight now that I wouldn't have got if I hadn't have gone through what I did. So, and I've, I, you know, through adversity, you know, and through the biggest, you know, challenging moments in my life come so much strength and resolve um, and resilience. And, you know, in order for us to grow and to get better, sometimes we unfortunately have to go through a lot of challenging periods. And, you know, that's certainly the, the truth in my case. Yeah, no, that, that's that's definitely right. I mean, you've obviously, as you said, you, you wouldn't change, wouldn't change anything, but you do learn so much from from all the experiences that you do have, and obviously, you have you have all that knowledge now. And uh, using that knowledge, what what would you tell some young athletes if they were going through these types of things at the moment? Now, I know it's a very touchy subject for for a lot of males still. What would you tell them? Um, what are the best strategies? Yeah, look, I mean, if you if you are, you know, struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety or, you know, whatever sort of mental illness, I mean, I can only, you know, I never tell anyone what they should and shouldn't do. But I mean, you know, just learning from my experience, I think if you if you go and speak to someone, the earlier the better. I mean, because you know, once bad habits form, they take a long time to unlearn. Um, so if you can get you go and speak to someone early um, and, you know, start learning health and coping strategies or start getting on top of those issues early on, then you save yourself so much hard work, um, you know, further down, you know, the line. 
but you know as i said by the time i started seeing a psychologist i had 10 years of bad behaviors and bad habits formed which unfortunately for me took a long time to unlearn but mm. you know any learned behavior can be unlearned um but i just think you know the the, the a stitch in time saves nine if you wanted to use you know a, an old school saying yeah um and it's it's not emasculating it's not a sign of weakness as i said it's a complete it's the opposite it's a sign of strength you know, to embrace your vulnerabilities and, to, you know, to put yourself in a position where, you know, you could potentially be ridiculed or you think you'd be ridiculed or, or made fun of, but it's, you know, from, um, you know, talking from, you know, the first time I opened up to someone, it was like, oh my God, I've been worried about this all my life. I feel so yeah. much better. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, what was the first time, what was the first time like? Do you remember that session? Is, is it? Yeah, so- I walked out. I mean, the, the, the best way I can describe going to talk to a psychologist um, and just talking about your issues and getting everything off your chest and off your shoulders, it's like going and taking one big emotional crap. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most <laughs> in, in, yep. in, a, in, a, in a term that, that males could, you know, can probably generally understand that. So that's true. Exactly what it's like. So, and yeah. it, look, it, it did take me a while to really feel comfortable um, with my psychologist and, you know, to really trust him and, and learn to, to open up. But, um, you know, healing can't begin until you're actually fully open and, and honest and, um, you know, as I said, really get to the core of your issues. So and that, that can't happen without complete open and open, open communication, honesty and transparency. Yeah, for, for sure. It's, it's, it is, it is, diff- it is difficult, I think. And as you said, the, that would uh, relate with males a hundred percent, the uh, emotion, just the, the crap that everything that you want to get off your chest and, I think it's. Um, I'm glad it's sort of. I'm glad it's progressing now these days. That it's just. Um, it's helping everyone, and I can see that the, the first time, first session you've had, I've had sessions um, before as well, and it really does. You just you walk out, you feel ten times lighter. It's. Uh, well, I know. Yeah. I, I I certainly did as well. So, it's 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 crazy the way the way you feel after those first couple of uh, first couple of sessions. That's for sure. Um. Moving back towards um, uh, your the injury side, your physical um, type injuries, um, did obviously being you know, younger or, or older, did you did you find rehab difficult um, at a younger age, or was it um, did you learn enough to, to do it at an older age that you were like, yeah, I'm I'm good, I can I can deal with these things. No, look, when it came to, I mean, football. Um, or doing whatever was required, you know, to get back out on the field. I was very, very diligent um, in that. And I was, I was very much an all or nothing person, you know. So I did everything, um, you know, over and above, you know, what was required and to the best of my ability. So rehab was something that, you know, that was, that was no different for me. You know, I pushed my body on the training track and, you know, sometimes I... Uh, you know, I did too much, you know, at the detriment of my own body. So, but when it came to rehab, yep, it was, uh, you know, physio every day, doing all of my required exercises, you know, doing all my rehab exercises, um, you know, because at the end of the day, the more you put into it, the, hopefully the quicker you'll come back um, from injury. Yeah. I mean, no, no footballer likes being um, in rehab or, you know, not being out of the training track or, you know, not being able to do what they're born to do, you know. So, 
so that was my attitude towards rehab and um you know a lot of the stuff that we had to do in rehab sucked and i hated <laughs> you know stuff like swimming and you know being on a grinder and yeah. doing all that type <laughs> of stuff but you know that was that was what was required so you know if, if you didn't do that or you know if you took shortcuts then your time in rehab was only going to be longer yeah you weren't going to get back out and, and play and which is the which is what everyone wants you want to be out there playing footy so um, I can imagine most most of the guys um, would have been would have been like that as well. Um, with obviously you played at both Melbourne and Carlton. Were there any? Um, did you see any differences between the way guys sort of guys rehabbed? I know you sort of alluded to then that it was pretty diligent, but was there any sort of difference when you when you moved over to the Blues? Uh, probably the biggest difference was just the resources that were available at Carlton that weren't quite there at Melbourne. Yeah, yeah okay. You know, when I first got to the D's, you know, Robbie Flower came down to the, the training facilities at Junction Over one day. He's like, oh, my God, these are the weights that I was using back in the 80s. You know, that sort of gives you a bit of a picture of yeah. where we were at with the footy club. You know, there were dead possums in the roof that, you know, that uh, they couldn't quite get to. So there were maggots falling out of the ceiling. And, you know, sometimes the sewage facility, uh, the, the sewage pipes would, would get blocked and you'd, you'd walk into the club one day and the carpet would be wet. And that was all sewage water. Like that was sort of the state of affairs when I got to Melbourne. So when I went to, to Carlton, it was almost like going from a semi-professional club to a fully professional club, given wow. that they just had their new $20 million facilities built. Oh, so, yeah. I mean... You know, I mean, having resources isn't going to make you, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily equate into being a better footballer or being a better footy team or a better footy club. But it's, you know, it's it's the options, I guess. And, you know, having the ability to be able to, you know, jump in a pool without having to drive to WEMSAC or jump in your own pool or, you know, having more physios on hand or having ice baths on hand or having more rehab facilities, you know, your own Pilates beds, Um at the footy club. So there was just more options and more resources to be able to, um, you know, do a bit more um, within the confines of the footy club and not having to spend a lot of time externally yeah, um, yeah. in places, you know, like MSAC or external Pilates studios or anything like that. That's all. It's all in the, it's all in the one place. So you can just go and do that, yeah. go and do that, go and do that and get yourself right. And yeah. you feel more mm-hmm. confident with everything and that's it. But, I was going to ask, actually, did, did you ever come across someone who um, may have been not as diligent with the, uh, with the rehab? I don't, know, I don't know if you want to throw anyone under the bus. Right nah, now, look, I'd, I'd never throw anyone under the bus. But look, all I can say is, you know, you know there's, there's always, there are always players or people at footy clubs who, you know, aren't quite, you know, the hardest workers or don't quite dedicate themselves and, um, yeah. you know, do what's, sort of required or sometimes they just do the bare minimum to mm. get by and you know that's understandable and i mean to be expected you know i mean i guess that's just a um you know a smaller snapshot of what broader society's like you know you have different makeups mm. of people who you know just operate um differently um so i mean you, you're going to get your players who you know will do everything to the best of their ability and do everything that they can and dot the i's and cross the t's and there are going to be players who you know will, will look to take shortcuts or will look to do the, the bare minimum required and i think you know that'd be pretty much um you know a snapshot of all footy clubs um, yeah. across the competition i think you know those types of players are very small and few in number but you know they do exist oh for sure and i think you find that maybe the guys that have had maybe a few more injuries, maybe like yourself, and I know I <laughs> had a few as well. You, you do, you, you learn and you and you grow and you learn different ways and different things that, um, that you can do to to get yourself right. And 
Uh, sometimes when you've got a guy who maybe has done a hammy for the first time and doesn't doesn't quite do everything, doesn't do doesn't quite do everything right, you uh, you sort of you can see that. But when when a guy's had multiple injuries, you can you can yeah. tell the amount of work. Yeah, and I, I guess as you get older, like I mean, one thing I was pretty big on was owning your own program. So you know, through I guess tinkering and trial and error, like learning, you know, what works well for you. You know, especially mm. from a rehab perspective, you know, so some blokes like uh, despise swimming, like in, to the point where I hated it and it got them really down, you know, so they would yeah. you know, go to the rehab coach and say, listen, I, I don't think I'm getting anything out of swimming. Is there anything else that you can give me that I can do? Mm. Um, and there was, there were plenty of other exercises that you could do. So it was all about, you know, sort of, um, you know, owning your own program and, and doing um, what was best for you in terms of a conditioning perspective, you know, from a rehab perspective, mm. um, which was ultimately based around performance. So, mm. I mean, that's, that was, you know, one thing that we tried to, you know, instill into the younger guys was, you know, own your own program, you know, do what, do what works best for you in the, in the confines of the system. Um, and, you know, again, all, all based around performance. Yeah, no, no, definitely. You mentioned the younger players there. Did you find yourself um, maybe you know in a rehab group with some maybe the younger players? And what sort did you pass anything on to those guys in terms of um, rehab and what they need to do, or was it just everything um, doing the same thing? I mean, I can't remember sort of anything you know specific with you know any specific younger player being in rehab. But I guess yeah. the best way to, to sort of you know if you're an older player and there was a younger player in the group, the best way is just to lead by example. sort of louder than words so if you're setting the right example of you know being in the rehab room before training after training you know just doing everything that you need to then that that's the most powerful form of i guess leadership um or you know powerful way of setting the example you know to someone who might not you know be familiar with rehab or you know might not might not have been in the system that long it's just a just a lead for example yeah no that's that's definitely right i couldn't couldn't agree more really it's really the um it's almost like the father figure in the uh, in in the rooms as well. You just you look towards the you look towards the professional, and then they sort of take things take things after you as well as as the as the younger player, which is which I'm sure happens in in all football football clubs as well, um, in terms of injuries and, and rehab and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say just to take it to the lighter side a little bit. Do you, do you watch much football these days? Do you are you a avid D's uh, fan or a Blues fan or you are a- look, I look. I, I like to see both clubs, you know, do well. If you had to give me, if you had to say, right, make a decision, you know, if you had to support either Carlton or Melbourne, you yeah. know, I think, you know, I spent more of my time at Melbourne. You know, I was drafted there; they were my first club. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, before things got a little bit bad, sort of mental health wise, um, you know, for me, I probably enjoyed. You know, I enjoyed my time at both clubs, but you know, I think I was a bit happier earlier in my career. You know, before everything sort of kicked in, and um, mm. you know, it was probably the the time where I, I think I played you know my best footy and when sort of footy suited me. Um, so yeah, I would I would I would probably have to say um, you know Melbourne before Carlton, but you know Carlton will always still hold a special place in my heart. You know, until the day I die. Oh, for sure, definitely. Yeah, it's always yeah you want to. It's always nice to have, even though sometimes you 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 want to be a one club player. It's always nice to have have two clubs, and and you can always you can always hold them dear, which is which is nice. Do you, do you still see anyone 
these days from both clubs? Do you hang out with? Uh, uh, look, the, the Melbourne Melbourne Footy Club have a really good sort of past players um, group. So obviously, with with COVID and the related lockdowns, we haven't been able to get together as much. But you know, Saturday yeah. we have a, like a casual Saturday morning running group where you know if you, if you're oh, available cool. and you want to, we meet down at the ten at it's like six thirty or quarter to seven. Jog a couple of laps, you know, catch up with everyone. Then we have some sort of brekkie afterwards and, you know, we take it in terms of who pays. So, <laughs> um, so that's, yeah. I mean, we, we, now that we're, now that we're out of lockdown, we'll be able to do that on a bit more of a regular basis. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just a great way of staying in touch with everyone. And, you know, you, you, these are the guys that you, you know, you spend so much time with, you know, mm. while you're at the footy club that you just, you forge these, you know, amazing, um, tight knit bonds and, and friendships that you know unfortunately you lose um, track of or you're not quite as close as you know you, you you leave the game and you leave the footy club which is understandable I mean everyone goes off and they, they start their own family and they've got a business or you know they've got a job so it's incredibly hard to, to sort of stay in touch so um, you know those those opportunities to do that are, are really um, valuable and you know, it's just great to say socially connected, you know, with a lot of those guys. Um, yeah. You know, because at one point or another, you're sort of living in each other's pockets for, for a big part of your life. <laughs> 100%. I mean, that's that's great. That's the first I've sort of ever, ever heard of, uh, like, a group of guys just getting together and just mm. going for a run. And that, that's really good. It's it's And it is always good to stick with guys. Mm. Get get back and get back to the roots and, and sort of hang out with those guys that you spent so much yeah. time with, as you said. And you, you, you still feel like, you know, you sort of stay connected um you know to the footy club you know because it's obviously a really challenging issue for players you know when they leave the mm. game you know depending on how long you spend at a place like it was you know obviously a big part of your life and you know you've, you've been a footballer all your life and all of a sudden the music stops and you leave the game and you're like well, you know who am i what am i i've been identified as a footballer all my life and now i'm supposed to just leave and walk away and you know that's it it's a, it's a really challenging um you know transition for any elite athlete um, you know, and I'm only talking from my own personal experience. Everyone's experiences will be different and some will struggle more than others. But, you know, as I touched on before, because of my issues around self-worth, I really struggled when I left the game. Yeah, no, that's it. But that, and it's good to, good to hear, though, that um, everything's sort of um, not working. Working, that's not the right word. But it's good to see that everyone's getting together. And, and obviously, COVID times, bar COVID times, it's, it's, it'll be nice to probably to get back and see the lads again and go for that, go for that run. I hope yeah. it's not too far. How, what, how long do you usually, oh, look, usually run a, I, I, We generally just do a couple of laps. So I think it's yeah. about okay overall. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm luckily I'm, I'm, I'm pretty naturally fit. So yeah. some of the guys struggle with a bit of the <laughs> fitness and, you know, it all depends on a lot of the bodies too. Like some guys just have bad knees and bad ankles and, um, so, but it's, it's more so the fact of just getting together, you know, and that yeah. real social, social interaction and that social connection and you know we, there's a ton of research out there that just shows how important it is you know to our well-being and to our survival and to to us thriving um is to stay socially connected you know with those uh with those friends or those former teammates who as i touched on you know incredibly close bonds and ties yeah, you speak of um, connectedness there. Do you, how connected do you do you feel with the uh, the success that's happened with the the D's this year? Do you do you feel a sense of connectedness with that? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you should have seen me grand final day. Like <laughs> I, I don't watch much footy anymore. Like yeah. I struggle to enjoy you know footy. I think I think I enjoyed footy 
um, a bit more, you know, sort of the 90s and, you know, early yeah. to mid 2000s style where, you know, it was a bit sort of more one-on-one and, you know, not oh, as yeah. many rotations. So it was all an <laughs> endurance-based game, which which suited me perfectly. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I <laughs> uh, just had a ton of endurance. So, you know, as yeah. the game evolved, it really went against me. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> such is life. Um, but, yeah, I mean, on grand final day, I was pacing around. Um, I was really anxious. I was really nervous. Um, I dusted off one of my old Melbourne jumpers, my playing jumpers, and I put it on. And my, <laughs> my Steph, my partner, she... Um, she had my old warm-up top on and we ordered our daughter, Bonnie, who's 10 months today, a little Melbourne jersey with my name and number on the back. So oh, we're all, you know, behind Melbourne that. as yeah. a family. And I was just so nervous um, throughout the day and throughout the game, you know, until the last quarter when, you know, sort of the, the game yeah. went, uh, the result went beyond doubt. So it was just a huge feeling of relief and um, just pure enjoyment and happiness for the footy club, you know, because when I was there, we won a couple of wooden spoons and, you know, we went through the whole tanking saga and mm, yeah, the club true. had just been through the ringer, you know, Jimmy Stein's dying, you know, and yeah, so many other different things that, you know, just, there was so many, you know, different emotions <laughs> running through my head that day. But I think the biggest one was just the pure and utter um, feeling of relief and happiness for the footy clubs that they'd, you know, broken a 60-year drought. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I saw it everywhere on social media and you see all the, the videos and, and whatnot of, of all the past players and, and everything. And um, as, you, as you said, you, you would feel the exact same. I saw, I think I saw videos of Jeff White tearing up and, and everything like that. It's, it really does mean so much to, to guys, even though they, they may not be a part of the club anymore, but they, they still have mm. it. They still have it inside. And I think that's yeah. that's a real well, wonderful thing, especially since being so long. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, unless you've actually experienced it yourself, I think sometimes it might be a bit hard for people to understand or they might not just be aware. You know, you, you spend mm. so much time in older place. Like, you know, for some, someone like Jeff White, who spent, you know, majority of his career at the D's and when you, you're yeah. there sort of 10 months of the year and you're putting your blood, sweat and, and tears into it, you develop such a passion um, and love for the place and love for your teammates, love for your coaches, love for the support people, um, you know, your trainers, your physios, your doctors, all these people that make up a footy club. You genuinely love the place. And then, you know, for you know to, to sit there and, and witness them experience, you know, the holy grail of footy, you know, um, is just something very special. And as I said, you're just so happy, you know, for that footy club and, um, you know, I saw Whitey's thing on on um, on LinkedIn as well. You know, and he had tears, and yeah. um, it just goes to show you, you know, how much players, you know, yeah. still love a footy club long after they've left, long after they've you know stopped training and playing for them. You know, that passion and that love will be there, you know, a lot of the time until the day they die. Yeah, it really, really stays with them, as you said. Like, yeah, it, it, and it will, and it will continue to, yeah. But yeah, it, it's an amazing feeling. Do you think they're going to? Uh... Uh, continue this this great run. I reckon there uh, there's not many challenges in the next couple of years. I reckon it could be on for a bit of yeah. a dynasty. I mean, look, based on based on what we saw grand final day, based on the age of their list and the composition of their list, I mean, I really think that, you know, if they um, really knuckle down and apply themselves and, you know, are quite, you know, hungry and they're not mm. satisfied, I think they can win another two or three within the next sort of four or five years, you know, sort of being, you know, we had... 
obviously Brisbane with the dynasty early 2000s, then it was Geelong, then it was Hawthorne, then it was Richmond. And I think sort of Melbourne appear to be on the verge of that. And I really just hope that they come back and they win one on the G next year for the fans, right? You know, the fans have been yeah. success for 60 years. Like there are so many young kids out there who, you know, their early experiences of Melbourne were awful, you know, wooden spoons and going through yeah. coach after coach after coach. And then finally we found some success and, oh, my God, the D's going to win the flag. And it's not, at the, it's not at the G anymore. Like, it's not at the home ground of the Melbourne Footy Club and the supporters didn't get the opportunity to go and watch because of, yeah, you know, bloody COVID restrictions and, <laughs> you know, WA being locked down. So I just really hope for the fans' sake that they can come back and win one on the G next year. Because I reckon the scenes um, after the game are going to be quite reminiscent um, of, you know, sort of 2017 on Swan Street when Richmond broke their drought. And, oh, you know, yeah. we just saw, you know, <laughs> party, you know street. It was, it was an amazing street party. You know, I've, I've asked a number of yeah. Melbourne supporters, I'm like, you know, what is the equivalent? <laughs> of Swan Street to Richmond for Melbourne. Where is it? Is it Church Street, Brighton? Is it uh, Commercial Road in South Yarra? I mean, where is it? So whatever the equivalent <laughs> it is for Melbourne, I think we're going to see scenes like that if the D's win the flag on the G next year. No, definitely. I think I think it sounds like you've got to lead the charge. You've got to start, you got to start kick things off, I reckon. You'll uh, have to decide, have a bit of a group committee because I reckon there's going to be another couple in the future for sure. Yeah, but well, it would be well, nice I to I certainly see. hope so. Would be nice to see one on the G, though. It, it, there is a little bit of, yeah, might be a little bit annoying, but hey, it's a flag. It can never be taken away. So, oh, and that's of the course, main thing. But the club, just, the club deserves one, and the fans deserve one. You know, to, yeah, for them to win one on the G, you know, oh, yeah, in front no of their, doubt. in front of the supporters, you know, you know, witnessing it in, in person. I think that just uh, that would be the next thing to tick off for the footy club. Oh, I reckon so, and. Uh, I have no. I reckon. I reckon it's on for, for next year for sure. There's no doubt about it. But it would be great. So. Would be great to see for sure. Now to finish off the, the podcast, what I like to do is uh, do a bit of a draft. So we each have five picks, and we go down in a bit of a snake order, kind of like your, your yep. fantasy fantasy drafts. Or I don't know if you're okay. in any of those or anything like that, but. Um, no, no. Yeah, so we um, so what we're going to do is pick um, topic today's your favourite VFL AFL players of all time, and yep, um, we'll go down in a bit of a snake. So um, now I'll give you the option: Would you like the uh, very first pick, or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. You go first. All right, kick things yeah. off. What's your what's your number one pick all time? I'm going with Lady Matthews. It was number oh, one. Yeah, damn. Yeah, <laughs> <be> yeah. <laughs> yeah you but, got me. You know, yeah. I, you know, I think when you, um, when you, you, you know, you look at his credentials and you look at, you know, what he achieved, you know, not only as a player, but as a footy coach, he's, you know, I, I think the greatest player to ever play the game, you know, as, as a midfielder and, you know, how many goals he kicked, I think. Oh, yeah, crazy. You know, and <laughs> just tough as nails as well. So, yeah, he would be he would be first picked. And I grew up, you know, my dad was a, a, had such admiration and respect for Lee Matthews. So, I guess that's, you know, probably why I'm a little bit biased um, towards him. So, he's definitely number one in my book. Oh yeah, no, he was an absolute wonderful player. I could, definitely, I was uh, I was going to go <laughs> going to go him. So yeah. I have to, uh, have to change, shuffle my uh, ideas, but I'm going to go. Um, I haven't actually said this. Yet. I'm an avid Geelong man, so um, yeah, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go with Junior. Junior, with. right? I'm going to okay, go with Junior. Yeah. I'm going to go with Junior. I just think 
if you look at the long list of credentials that he's he's had over his time and I mean it was disappointing not to get that flag from him a couple of years or last year when he retired but yeah he was just a phenomenal player and I don't think we'll see um, too many players uh, like him a little bit in the in in the mold of a bit of Lee Matthews but probably um, yeah, yeah I couldn't can't go past uh, the the little man little master so I have to yeah. go go with him with my my first okay. one. All right. Well, if you've taken junior, I'm taking senior. He's, he's, <laughs> slotting, he's slotting in a full forward nicely. So I can just see Lee Matthews getting getting the ball out of the middle and putting it down, you know, senior's throat and him kicking probably a torpedo from 40 metres on the boundary line or something like that, you know, just nonchalantly, you know, just just like shelling peace. So senior would be my second pick. I mean, you know, he uh, speaks for himself how mercurially he was on the footy field. And I don't think... You know, we've seen anyone as naturally gifted um, as that bloke um, in our time since. Oh no, that's that's for sure. I mean, I mean, I didn't get to see him play too much, but some of the thing I think I got a video from the '94 season or something like that, and he's kicking bags at twelve and in losing games, and it's like, what more does this guy have to do to to win games for his club? But yeah, all right. Well, you you, you stole my you stole my next one already. I was gonna I was gonna do the double, but I don't think I can. But I'm gonna go with another. I'm gonna go with another forward. Um, the, uh, the 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 goals the the goals record holder. I'm gonna go with Tony Lockett. Yeah. He's iconic. Yeah. Um, obviously, play for two different clubs. Um, you don't see it too much these days. The, the massive, massive bags of goals of the ten plus or anything like that, kicking five in yeah. the first quarter, and that's just a slow yeah, first quarter. Which is a shame. Or the hundred <laughs> goals a year forward. I mean, that was the fans loved that. It was so good for the game. But you know, as I touched on before, the, the style of the game and the speed of the game has just changed so much that unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to see you know results like that again. No, I don't. I don't think so. Unfortunately, but you know. We can appreciate it when it does come around again, if it, if it does, if, on the odd occasion. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so my third pick, I'd, yeah, I'd have to go. I'll go to Sonar Ford and I'll pick uh, the duck, Wayne Carey. Um, yep. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, colourful character, but he's on-field success um, and his on-field ability, I mean, speaks for itself. I don't think there's any greater Sonar Ford who's played, you know, the game and, you know, two-time premiership, you know, captain and, um, you know, was the leader of the best team in the 90s, um, you know, by far. And I just, you know, he would go back and watch some of these stuff, you know, running back with a fly to the ball and, um, you know, uh, some of those marks he was taking and, you know, some of his um, abilities to be able to stand up in big games. And, you know, for, for him to, to do what he did, I guess, you know, in the area that he played when, you know, backs could get away with so much more, you know, <laughs> yeah. on board, you know, chopping the arms and hanging on and, you know, all these types of stuff. So he, uh, he's definitely an easy third pick for me. Oh yeah. No, I like that one. That's, that's a real, that's a real good one. Now for my third one, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Mr. Football to be Teddy Whitten. I think, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously didn't see any of him play, but um, from what I've heard, he's, Oh, he was next level to watch and, and someone who's, I mean, still gets talked about um, to this day. And I think that, I mean, that just shows how great he was. People are still reminiscing about what, he, what, what he's done. And it's, it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful career when you, when you read back and look at all the stats, it's uh, um, and to do it back, back in those days is probably, probably even tougher as well. So 
Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Teddy Whitten with my my third one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, fourth for me. I mean, if we're, we're um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, no disrespect to the backman, but I'm just going to stay probably midfield and forwards uh, for today. I would uh, pick Michael Voss. Um, Ooh, yeah, I, like that. I mean, you know, the touch number four. You know, they were the, you know, the 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 first probably modern dynasty. Um, you know that, that that we saw, and you know. Four grand finals in a row is like just such an amazing effort and to do that as skipper. And I think, I think I heard a journalist rattle off a stat at one stage. I think he said at the at the, the height of his career when he was at his his peak sort of performance. I think fifty four percent or fifty seven percent of his possessions were contested. That was his average. So <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just like absolutely insane and you know you know the the first sort of thing that comes to mind when you mention his name was that grand final where scotty burns you know put that huge bump on him but bossy got oh, up and yeah. played a big part in that in that goal and he you know, got in his <laughs> face and he said you know i think he said something like you know good burnsy but not good enough or something like that um <laughs> that's so, you know he, he just someone who just led from the front and you know i think i think the blues have got a really good um really good coach you know, yeah, him 100%. You know, moving forward because he'll just demand, you know, the utmost intensity and effort from most players because, you know, that's what he did as a player. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I lo- love that pick. I think he's one of one of the best captains of all time. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great, great selection. He's just one of those tough nuts, hard nuts and a guy you want to want to fight for, fight with and, and stand, stand behind when going, going to play. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um, now I'm going to go for my, are we up to, this is my fourth one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with yeah. that. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Geelong centric again, but not, not anywhere. I'm going to go Graham Polly Farmer. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Going a little bit different. I'm not, not always biased, but in, I ha- yeah. sometimes I have to be a little biased, but you know, I, I think he it wasn't the, probably wasn't the amount of games that he played. It was, it was what, what what he did um, and to change the game and for the for the ruckman type type of player, he, everyone remember everyone's seen those like old videos of that mat those massive handballs and like worth two kicks mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. He was just um, he, he was a crazy player. I mean, I didn't see amazing amounts <laughs> of of video or anything like that, but he was um, part of the the flag and and won plenty of more um, awards around that as well. Won won the um, the Geelong BNF in the uh, premiership year. So, um, yeah, yeah, I couldn't go, couldn't go past him and yeah. Team of the century man as well. So yeah, I had, yeah. To, had to get him in there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's such a difficult exercise to try and pick five. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I want, there's so many players on you know, and there's sort of uh, notable absentees that James Hurd and, and Luke Hodge, who I just couldn't quite get in there, but my fifth <laughs> and final, yeah. um, I mean, Juddy, Chris Judd, I mean, if you yeah. go back and watch, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, he got, you know, sort of those groin injuries, which which hampered a little bit of his 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 um, his explosiveness and his, his uh, dynamics and his speed. But, you know, when he started out at the Eagles, I mean, to do oh. what he did in <laughs> that <laughs> midfield is just yeah. absolutely insane. And there's if you, if you want to get a taste of how good he was, Go on YouTube and type in. I think it was against Brisbane in up in Brisbane 
maybe 2004, around that year. I think he kicked five goals in the first half. I was going to say that, that I know where you're going with that. <laughs> like for anyone who's not familiar with Juddy at the Eagles, just do yourself a favour and sit back and watch because he's one of the greatest like oh. five goals that you ever see from a midfielder <laughs> in your time. And I don't think we're you know we're, we're, we'll ever see a player quite like him um, again. And you know I, I played on him, um, and fortunately I got to play with the guy. Um, and there's no there's no um, like, you can see why he was as successful as he was. You know, he just, he born with natural ability, but his, his ability to, to put in the work, you know, from a rehab perspective, from a training perspective, was second to none. And, you know, it was an absolute pleasure and a privilege to play against and with that guy. Oh, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that people would be asking plenty of stories about, about your time with mm. him and, and against him. I know, I'm, I'm sure you've got stories for days about, going against him and, and playing with him but look yeah he's he's kind of in that in that in that ablet mode in that ablet mold like they're two guys that you're never going to see and sort of yeah grace the field but it was great to watch them while while we could for, for sure yeah. um for my last one i'm, I'm gonna go i'm still gonna go back i'm gonna go way back i've included my modern day player so i won't choose another one um i'm gonna go with bobby skilton yeah, okay. Bobby yep. Skilton. I'm going to go the three-time, three-time Brownlow medalist. I mean, that that pretty much says uh, says it all, really. I think it's uh, yeah. it's it's wonderful um, he, what he was able to do um, for for the for the Bloods, as they like to be called. And uh, I think he was uh, someone who um, I was really happy for back in that um, that 2005. Um, year when when they broke their drought for the for the first time and and he was i don't know if he was i can't remember if he was the one who presented them with the the cup or not but i hope he was i hope he was i can't remember but i think you know that would have made perfect sense that you know it would have been him oh no doubt i hope it was so i'll have to go back and uh check out check out the archives for sure but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna round round my five off with uh with bobby skilton um now that that's all all we got all got time for on today's podcast, Brock. Thanks for coming along and, and having a chat with us about about your career. It's been a, a fantastic fantastic insight, and I'm sure a lot of people have got um, so much out of this um, podcast today. So really appreciate you coming on and um, giving up some time. No, my pleasure, Jake, and um, all the best, mate, with your um, with your rehab and you come back from your your third knee Rico mate, it, it must suck, but, um, you know, sometimes we find our greatest strength, you know, through our biggest, uh, biggest adversity. So I wish you all the best mate. And, uh, yeah, stay well. No, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now, um, this remember to like share and subscribe all our socials on, on Facebook at under pressure podcast and Instagram and Twitter at under pressure one underscore. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn app, Google Podcasts, or the Podbean app. It all really helps us out. Now, that's it for the Under Pressure Podcast, and we'll see you on the next.